Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I am excited to welcome Ryan Powell. He is the VP of Retail Strategy and Consulting for Insight AI, a purpose-built AI solution for major CPG brands like Boston Beer Company and Nestle. Ryan loves, um, loves what he does and is an expert in the field. But before I dive in a little bit uh, of a conversation around what he's doing at Inside AI, Ryan, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background? Um, what did you do before you came here? Um, and then what's your specific role at the company now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Really pleased to be here. Um, before I joined Insight, I um, was lucky enough to run a merchandising category management practice at Symphony Retail AI. And um, we developed a whole host of solutions there. And uh, really that's kind of where I was able to, to get a good grounding in some of the artificial intelligence products. And uh, prior to that, I ran a transformation practice with Capgemini USA. And um, really I've been working in CPG and retail and with CPG and retailers for the last 20 years or so, just solving um, complex problems really focused in um, category management, uh, retail, and um, you know revenue growth management, demand forecasting type um, challenges. So uh, yeah, it's been, been really exciting. And um, at Insight, what I primarily do is work with customers to understand the core challenges that they have um, in trying to roll out technology roadmaps, specifically based around artificial intelligence. Um, we see that's really been a major explosion uh, mm -hmm. over over kind of the last couple of years. And so, you know, both short-term goals, long-term goals, trying to see how you can ramp things up very quickly to build um, a baseline for artificial intelligence and, um, you know, your, your forecasting techniques uh, for assortment, category management, and revenue growth management. And um, yeah, and then just partnering to, to help integrate into their platforms and, and potentially build their platforms as well. Great. Well, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Hopefully we'll have enough time. Um, but to your point, yes, we've talked about artificial intelligence forever. Um, what we've seen is definitely an acceleration, right, of companies trying to figure out how to integrate that um, into their practices. Um, demand forecasting, I think, is probably top of everybody's mind, especially with, you know, we're in such unstable ground right now. We don't, right? It's like a moving target, even even as we're having this exact conversation coming out of summer, right? We, we thought we were in one place two months ago and now everybody's talking about what is it gonna mean for back to school? What is it gonna mean for holiday? What is it gonna mean for next year? So um, I'm sure that there's a lot that we can kind of talk through there um, in the conversation. Why don't you, so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, at Inside AI, um, who, who are your customers? Yeah, so so we we've been very very lucky. We um, we've worked with customers like Nestle, Perina, very very large customers. Uh, we also work with um, customers that are really trying to leapfrog their competition, like Boston Beer. Um, and and there's a lot that that unfortunately I can't list um, from from a competitive landscape. Sure. But it's really everything in between. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, for for the customers we work with, there's definitely a kind of profile. It, it's people that are re really trying to get into these next level, next generation technologies, um, who are looking to kind of push the boundaries yeah. and, um, and and accelerate really quickly and. 
without kind of going into to too much, there are very large um, partners that, that we're engaged with who are kind of doing secret tech, right? Um, who, who, are, who are, you know, trying to supplement and expand their portfolio of technology mm-hmm. without letting the competition know, without letting, you know, others know kind of where they're going. They want to kind of drop it when they get there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So tell me a little bit, another part that's interesting, right? I want to dive into a little bit is a relationship between CPG brands and retailers, right? Yeah. And and the union that's having this transformation too, right? And unexpected either partnerships, collaborations, joint ventures, what's happening in the space? And, and is, you know, the state of things, COVID-19 accelerating that? Mm-hmm. I think, um, it's it's really interesting, and I think the, the there's always been this um, kind of strange relationship between retailers and CPGs in in the sense that you know everyone's always vying for power, and I think what COVID's done is it's actually changed the paradigm a lot in in the sense that you know everyone now is really has a more common goal than ever, which is to you know make sure you're getting um, products to the stores for for consumers. And, um, and really just, you know, trying to make sure that everyone's okay during the, the, the COVID period. I think what's really interesting when you start to look at the cycles of COVID and how they impacted behavior across CPG and retail, um, there is definitely a change in the relationships um, that, that we're seeing really through the data in the sense that, you know, innovation, pricing, um, you know, portfolios, um, the, the way that CPGs are looking at it is, is very different. Um, but also the way that retailers are, are, are really kind of going back to the core blocking and tackling um, is also different than, than they've traditionally um, done before. And so y- you've got a, a real shift in kind of behavior on both sides. Um, but what's really interesting about it is I think it's a shift that's, to your point, continuing to happen. And so um, there's these mini cycles of behavior that really haven't been able to find, you know, some sort of steady grounding, which for us is really interesting because we're looking at it from a data perspective and a prediction perspective. And so you see these rapid cycles of, of trend change coming down the line that honestly, you know, have been different than everything before. So, so yeah, there's, there's a, I, I believe there's a big difference based on what we're seeing in the data in, in how they're interacting and, and, and what their relationships are together. No, absolutely. So how, how is AI and ML, so artificial intelligence and machine learning for the audience, um, you know, how's that evolving too? Because it's something that's, recently really kind of exploding in many sectors um and now the conversation we're having with cpg and retail Mm -hmm. where are we and where do you think we're going i think we're at the very beginning honestly um i I think people have been trying to get into ai and ml in some meaningful way for probably the last five years plus and I, i i think it's it's been really difficult for retailers and cpgs to kind of break, you know, in a lot of cases, some foundational barriers. 
and and I think for the first time, you know, you've got you know the top one to three percent of of retailers and CPGs starting to really understand it, starting to be able to leverage it practically against the questions their business um, are asking on a regular basis. But it's difficult because in a lot of cases, when you know, especially internally, you're going about building solutions to answer your business questions. Um, you know, it, it's very easy to get, you know, tunnel vision or caught up in, um, you know, one specific technique and, and the, the techniques themselves are developing so rapidly. And, you know, we've got all these kids coming out of college that are super smart and, you know, are, are, are doing these different, um, you know, kind of projects and, and methodologies um, of how to approach problems, really not even thinking about how we're using them in CPG and retail in a lot of cases, but can directly apply to that. Um, the, you know, when you start to walk that back to what's practically being used within retailers and CPGs today, I think what you essentially find is that very, very few people are actually leveraging, um, you, you know, any sort of advanced artificial intelligence or machine learning. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's actually really foundational. There's a long way for us to go um, as, you know, retailers and CPG companies to actually get to a point where we can really say, yeah, we're getting the best out of these technologies and techniques. So, I, yeah, I think, I, I think it's a challenge and I think we're getting smarter. Um, but I, I do feel like it's just now we're starting the journey properly. You, you know, it's, it's kind of like we've been prepping ourselves for the last, you know, five years or so to get into this. One other thing, I, I think the data has taken a while to catch up to. Um, and I think that's been part of the challenge also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's not just the collection of data, it's the analysis of it, and then it's the action steps after right? And creating also an environment um, internally where it's always learning, right? You're always learning, iterating and making um, changes based on that. Yeah, so absolutely. To, to me, that's the part that still also needs to be pushed forward, right? Because, um, I don't, I, and having conversations with, you know, others in the industry too, there, there's that gap. Now, what do we do with this information? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and how to... The other topic there is, you know, data has always been a touchy subject in terms of privacy. Um, do you think that the monetization of data is something that's best for the market? Um, what do you What do you think about that? I, I think um, I, the, the monetization of data is a really interesting concept because, it, essentially, when you when you're a retailer or a CPG, data is what you use to help each other, right? And I think. What's really interesting about the monetization concept is basically where, you know, you're saying, well, you know, you have to pay to essentially get the data to then make the decisions. And wh whereas I think the good thing about that is that if you're going to do it, you know, there's a great likelihood that you're going to do something meaningful, meaningful for it because you've justified getting the data. But there's a huge flip side in the sense that there's so many different ways to look at you know, projection or prediction, you know, you talked about demand forecasting earlier being a huge component. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And I think the challenge with monetization in a lot of cases is that 
you know, not everybody has access to the same thing. There, there's, it's difficult to get a consistent picture from a group of CPGs to satisfy a retailer. And ultimately, you know, because you don't have the full breadth of data in a lot of cases, um, you are, you do have kind of a limited view of, of the world and the universe. Um, what I think is interesting though, is with the monetization of data, I think there will be better data, you know, mm -hmm. it'll be more clean, it'll be more structured, they'll be able to put more guardrails around or, or pretty even expand the data sets so they're richer. So when you do have access to them, they'll be better. Um, but with the monetization of data, also uh, in a lot of cases will create this kind of opposite effect where you'll get more public data for free as well. And I think that's um, the, the beauty of the retailer CPG relationship is really, I think, based on um, when you take a look at, you know, right, if a retailer monetizes their data, the CPG is also going out and doing a ton of research, bringing in a ton of um, data from public sources or scraping or things like that. And so in a lot of ways, it drives the CPGs to get smarter about the data they use, more efficient around the data that um, they pay for, and, and you know, really start to invest more in sources that are unique to them. And, and my, I, I have a fundamental belief um, that, that I share with my customers that basically the ideal world, a retailer and a CPG play together seamlessly to satisfy the, the customer or the consumer. And, and that's really where you're trying to get to, right? And, and the mm -hmm. data is kind, kind of in, in a lot of ways, um, it, in some cases it's unfortunate that it's monetized, but it's also probably necessary for the work that goes into it um, to make it good to, to be used. Sure, yeah. Can you share an example? I'm not sure where you're able to share, but mm -hmm. where there was an instance of that, there's a clear example where that benefit um, was uh, was was instrumental um, by having a CPG and a retailer working together. Yeah, I, I think um, so. I, I, um, let me let me see if I can think of a really good example. Um, so so I'll use Boston Beer because they're um, they're a little smaller in the stance of uh, you know how much data they're buying, mm -hmm. but I think what they've done a really good job um, with is uh, taking multiple retailer data sources and being able to work with the retailers to drill into very specific kind of category or product information that they can request to then deliver kind of very surgical answers with the broader data sets that they have internally and the other data sets they pay for that are kind of more market-based. And, um, and so I, I think for them, you know, there's been some things in the news recently about, you know, some projection components that, that they had challenges with um, around certain categories. But internally working with them over the last year, what we've really seen um, them move towards is this kind of very tailored surgical approach where they're, they're doing, they're having those conversations with um, the retailers and getting very specific components of data. And then they're able in those categories and regions and retailers to really accurately predict what's actually going to happen. And mm -hmm. I think it's it's more of a, 
it's without being much larger and having a lot more infrastructure, it's difficult to do that across everything. But, um, but the philosophy they've taken is, hey, where we really are going to focus, we're going to really get it right. And I think the retailers they're working with have definitely seen the benefit in that. And they've been able to really punch above their weight in the sense of um, being able to deliver answers and projections and predictions um, that are very accurate, more accurate than, you know, lots of their, their contemporaries, um, mm -hmm. but in a way that's really, really efficient. And, and uh, you know, ultimately they, they want to do it across everything, but, you know, you have to start somewhere. And I think it's a really good example of where a retailer and a CPG have partnered together um, very in a very targeted way to deliver quality and to, to really get usage out of some of the, the, the kind of very practical techniques that are available today. No, that's a great example. Well, speaking of predictions and, you know, you have information at your fingertips. I was wondering if we, you know, we want to keep these episodes a little evergreen, but we are still in summer. So give us a highlight on some of the summer drink beverage preferences and any trends you think that are going to kind of carry through as we go to fall and um, fall and winter. So maybe we could start with beer. Um, mm -hmm. We could do beer, seltzer, kombucha, ciders. Mm -hmm. Tell us, tell us what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're seeing um, from, from a, it's, it's interesting you bring up the kombucha because we're really actually seeing that there's a trend forming um, around the kombucha that uh, to be honest, um, I, I'm a traditional uh, kind of, you know, craft beer drinker. So, so personally, I don't have a lot of experience with it, but um, people are really kind of, uh, you know, embracing um, the, the category, you know, some of these micro categories and kombucha is one of them. And we expect based on the patterns that we're seeing that, um, you know, those trends are going to uh, continue. From a salsa perspective, we also feel like, you know, based on the work that we've done um, with Boston beer that there there's you know it, it's it's a very well established and formed category at this point and and the you know you're going to see um, a lot of the traditional growth patterns that that you you, you know ultimately would see um, through some of the other more established categories too so uh, you know we're, we're from from a summer perspective we really feel that you know based on on, on the interactions that we've had um, that you know, people are starting to embrace some of these categories that I, I guess a couple of years ago would have been considered non-traditional, um, and, and and you know, things that were out on the fringe or things that were more innovation. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I I think from a standpoint of innovation, I think people are more open, whether it's beverage or you know, pet food or 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 you know. Um, you know, products, consumer products that they can try and test. I think people are more open than ever to try something new. Um, and, and really, when we talk about macro trends, I think that to me is probably from a summer perspective, the biggest thing to, to take away. Um, if you were ever going to launch a product, you know, like a good launch, not not, you know, just oh, I'm going to throw 30 things at the wall and see what sticks. But if you were ever going to launch something that you really believed in and cared about, now's the time, you know, to, to kind of do it, do it right. Capture these micro segments of consumers where they're kind of figuring, figuring out who they are 
you, you know, um, COVID sent them into a spin. And, and you, you know, you've got, you have an opportunity to capitalize on these, these behaviors that are currently being reset. It, it's really interesting um, from a consumer perspective. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you think the drivers were. So I would say we had a very safe um, social distance rooftop summer gathering with our team. And we did a round robin, like, you know, what beverages is everybody white uh, like um, us to order? Rosé was definitely on the list, as you can expect for summer. But second uh, most common request was those hard seltzers. Yeah. So consistent with your research. But that was going to be my next question. What do you think is driving it? Like when we think about kombucha, do you think it's because people want to um, feel more healthy? Um, is that a driver um, and the choices that they're making? Yeah, I, I think the the health component, um, it, it's interesting because there's been a lot of statistics around what COVID has done to our health, right? And, and you know, we've been trapped at home and those of us that have had some motivation have found a way to, you know, keep the pounds off as much as we can. But the reality is health is a huge, it was a concern before we went into COVID. And I think it's a greater concern coming out of it. And I think, as people are getting back into, you know, semi-regular life, um, I do think it's more of a concern than ever. And I do think it is factoring into um, the choices. There's also a generational component that we're seeing. When, when you take a look at segmentation across, um, you know, the, the changes that are happening in the workforce and, and the changes that are happening as, you know, over the last couple of years, um, the specific generations coming out of college and, and, and going into the workforce, um, you're, you're, you're seeing a different behavioral pattern. And, and, and really, it's across all sectors. But, you know, if, if you take a look at the, the, you know, what they're choosing to drink, um, it's really interesting because they are very concerned, you know, about um, health. They're very concerned about, um, you know, the selections that they have, the flavors, the options, um, you know, how things are made, you, you know, the, the sourcing materials, how you got them, where you make them. I, I think um, more than ever, we're in a situation where people are actually reading labels, they're paying attention to your brand, you, you know, and, and, and they're following things that previously we could sweep under the carpet or, or weren't focused on, right? And, and I think that is leading to, you know, when we take a look at things like hard cells and things like that, a lot of those behaviors, um, especially because of the social networks that are in play now, um, you know, the positive behaviors uh, are, are very easy to spread. And I think we, we've been able, um, you know, especially young people have, have really capitalized on that and, and, and are taking it to heart around, you know, hey, let's be healthier, let's be better for the environment, um, you know, and part of that too is if you look at a lot of tra the traditional categories, they were sold differently. They were they were um, pitched differently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the ingredients and how they were made, and and the imagery of of what they see, the, you know, those products as, and and how they see those products being used. Um, and and I think some of that too is playing into hey, we want something new. We want something that represents us. Right. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I do feel like that's playing a large part of it. But I think that to, to your point, the the health component of it is an important dimension of that, that, that that's resonating. And you're seeing it in the data um, from an attribution standpoint uh, and, and, and kind of increased trend standpoint as well. 
No, but I mean, these are important insights, right? As you think about your clients, right? Of um, positioning, packaging, marketing, communication, right? Um, what is going to resonate with the audience, right? So obviously product has to stand behind all of those things, but for what you said, right? If ingredients matter, if transparency matters, if people care more what they're putting in their body, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's okay if it has alcohol with it, but um, there's <laughs> they're trying to make... Um, for what they think are better decisions about what, you know, what goes in their body. Mm -hmm. what, so, so before we go, tell us what's, what's, what's the possibility of AI and, and, and ML um, in the next five years? I think what you're going to see is an explosion in um, people using it to make a lot of the decisions that previously um, they were using kind of very heavy algorithmic um, and, and people, you know, um, kind of mass. So I, I think you're, you're going to see a lot of prediction techniques come out. I think you're gonna see an explosion of um, really internal workforce around um, artificial intelligence. And it's not gonna be localized to a specific thing. I, I think it's going to be across everything. You know, um, we're talking about, you know, sales organizations, products, things like that. Um, but it but it spills over into marketing it spills over into finance it spills over into um you know operations and so um the the other component is because of the manufacturing sourcing you know machinery components of, of all of this as well i think um you're going to see a lot more into integration between um the entire supply chain um from, from an artificial mm -hmm. intelligence perspective and, and understanding hey, when I make this decision at any point along the chain, I need to immediately start to feed that data back to other components. And I think for a long time, um, organizations, whether they're retail or CPG, have been pretty siloed in their capabilities. Uh, you know, one person does this and another person does that. And, you know, you kind of pass it. Uh, it's like a relay race, right? You're passing the yeah. baton until you reach the finish line. And I think what you're going to start to see is a lot more organic thought um, and, and that's really what AI is going to help with. It's going to help with the ability to not focus on that passing of the baton component, but really focus on what are the best decisions that we're making in the moment and how are we reacting to the customer? And, you know, unfortunately we're not out of the woods with COVID yet. The, the trends are suggesting that um, there is going to be a couple more cycles of behavioral pattern change and because of that these things are really really important um you know when we emerge and and you know hopefully this is all all done in you know two or three years i think we're going to have a different appreciation for how to look at the moment from a data perspective and prediction perspective yeah. right and and what the micro cycles are i mean traditionally there's been you know, seasonal cycles. And you, I don't even know if there's been four seasons, you know, it's really, mm. it's really kind of yeah. two or two or three major seasons in retail. And I think you're going to start to see a push with artificial intelligence that allows you to create micro seasons, micro segments from a consumer perspective mm -hmm. and really start to, to satisfy customers and consumers in a very different way um, over shorter periods of time with more change, more, more personalization. 
Um, so, and I think AI is going to drive a lot of that. No, I completely agree. I think that that's, we as consumers are expecting brands to know us more and more and it's not, you know, they can just be a reliance on we've built these personas and we can put everybody in a bucket um, because there's a lot of nuances around all those personas, right? That we're expecting as consumers, brands to understand and know and um, know sometimes better than us, right? So uh, I think it's gonna be interesting. I think the the careful balance is um, the integrity of privacy. And But if brands can continue to provide value, you know, we're digitally connected. So mm-hmm. we're putting information out there all the time and giving brands and retailers the ability to learn. And on the flip side, we're expecting brands and retailers to deliver um, on the fact that they have those learnings. So I think it's an exciting future ahead. And um, this is a great conversation. It's also, it's also been great to see the collaboration that's happened in the industry that we hadn't seen in the same ways in the past, such as CPG and retailers working together um, in new and innovative ways. Um, so I think you sit in an exciting seat um, and there's a lot more more ahead. Um, so continue to watch you. Um, but thank you so much for being with us today. So everybody, once again, this is Ryan Powell. He's the VP of Retail Strategy and Consulting for Insight AI, uh, a purpose-built AI solution for major CPG brands. Um, and, and this was a great conversation. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thank you.